So we, uh, my family very recently had, uh, had a DNA test done and found that we are far more Scottish than we realized. So I, ever since that, I've, uh, definitely had that on my list. Um, but all over, you know, the UK and, and Europe has always been on my list as well. So, you know, just to be very generic about it, basically mm -hmm. that whole part of the world. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking, you know, money's no object. I mean, the world <laughs> is your oyster. Yeah, I mean, go be Jeff Bezos. Let's go to space. Um, <laughs> hey. You know, if money's no object, then you can really go anywhere you want to go. So I, yeah, let's go everywhere. That'd be a dream vacation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tour around the world. Yeah. I think for me, I'd probably choose. I think Rome would be really cool. I like the. I think it'd be really cool to see the Colosseum and kind of all the history within that that space. Um, I'd primarily want to hit that and then maybe trek over to Egypt as well and look see the pyramids. I think the mysteriousness of that is just so interesting to me. But. And if money's no object, paying off the tour guide to take to undisclosed locations in the pyramids <laughs> would be cool. Kelsey, you got one? Wait, I think you... Matthew stole mine. It was so rude no. that I was like, come <laughs> on, man. But yeah, money was no object. I was like, so could I just move over to Europe and then just keep on taking like these like weekend vacations? Because that's really what sounds good is being like, let's fun just moving. And then I can just take these small little vacations instead of doing one big trip. But maybe that's just me that I'm like, I'd rather just go somewhere and stay. But what about you, Tara? I would say this isn't necessarily on my top. It just comes to mind is um, one of my favorite vineyards is actually in New Zealand. So I would love to go there Ooh. and have some of their wine. <laughs> nice. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. New August Zealand Anna. is beautiful. I really want to support yeah. anyone going to New Zealand as well. <laughs> love it. I was going to say August kind of stole mine um, going to Egypt or um, I kind of think the first thing that came to mind was maybe going to Italy. You know, I spent so much time uh, in like art history classes. It would be so fun to like go and be in front of these things that I have only seen in books or on the internet, you know? Um, I think that would be pretty awesome. I um, would agree. That yeah. would be really neat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, today on our Tech for Business podcast, uh, Kelsey, Tara, and myself are joined by Matthew, our GRC analyst, August, our SOC technician, and Andrew, our security engineer and incident response team lead. I got it. Woo! <laughs> Uh, we're doing a little deep dive today into our world of EDR and how it can save your business. And I'm going to kind of pose our first question to Matthew just before we really jump in. You know, we've talked about EDR before. I have a podcast linked in our description. But what are some quick basics and overview that someone should know to really understand what we're talking about today? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I don't think I was in that other podcast, uh, though I believe <laughs> the rest of the group was. Um, but in short, it's endpoint detection and response. So it's a tool that runs on an endpoint, which is the language we use for workstations, um, desktop PCs, laptop PCs, uh, and mobile devices as well, whether that's phones, tablets. And the goal is that it 
detects issues um, that as they're occurring. Um, you've, we've also done a lot of podcasts on AI and deep learning, and this is basically a form of that, where it's tracking what's going on in the workstation and finding actions that are unexpected or uh, non-habitual that it's trying to detect those rather than just finding things like an, uh, an original antivirus did. Original antivirus would just look for specific file types, would look for specific things that were done. Um, and if they happen to match with something that was done previously, they'd still block it. If they happen to be something that you did every day and they decided that that day that was a bad thing, all of a sudden your antivirus could stop you from doing anything, uh, which we may have all had experience with before. <laughs> so... EDR is really the the next step of that. Um, if you've listened to myself and Todd on any of the other podcasts, you'll have heard him mention specifically how important EDR is now. Um, in fact, I think the MFA podcast that came out a week ago when this one's coming out uh, directly talks about that in depth. So EDR and MFA are kind of what we're, we're talking about in there. And in this part, EDR is the endpoint side of things. How it can be stopped and saved for a workstation. Um, have I missed anything there? I I don't think so. I think you covered a lot of the ground of what it is. Cool. Um, <laughs> so I guess how I can take on the portion of how it can save your business of some real case scenarios of what we've seen of um, it taking anonymous action anonymous anonymous i can't say that word um a, autonomous action on different types of threads that are coming through i'm um, just looking for hash based signatures and uh just types of any type of malicious activity going on um seeing something such as uh, mimi cats which is a a credential stealer basically for for uh that can be ran on systems and seeing something like sentinel one or uh, any EDR tool blocking that, and then seeing an attacker try a different form of uh, Mimi Cats to try and steal credentials, and that being blocked, and seeing the real time like action log of a 10 minute span of an attacker trying multiple different forms of attack vectors and being stopped from from that one tool that saved pretty much your uh, multiple days of being down. So I think it's a, a super important part of a business. So Definitely. Just to kind of tie in with that a little bit, August, um, we've mentioned a couple of times now the, uh, the autonomous actions as well as how it's reacting to the actions being taken, right? So autonomously, it's stopping. It's not asking for requests to make these changes. Um, and it will block an action. Uh, you mentioned a couple tools in there, which are hacking tools, which it's going to look for and stop. Um, but it's also looking for things that are maybe unexpected behavior in some way. So whether it's um, move, uh, go, trying to get access to file systems that maybe you hadn't accessed before, maybe it's a file that's uh, instantly trying to duplicate itself across multiple areas or changing too many files at once, the type of thing that ransomware does. Um, EDR tools very quick and obviously there's a, a lot of variables but when it does what it's meant to do it's doing it very quickly it can stop these things in its tracks um i'm not on the incident response team <laughs> that's more sheriff's area here um 
how many how often do you see it that the alerts we're getting are not hey this machine needs to be recovered it's this machine has already stopped this issue what do you want us to do to clean it up and resolve it um i mean when it comes to an incident uh you know be it a single device single endpoint is you know some user downloaded their free cursors and now that there's some malicious software on that it kind of asks for forgiveness then permission um it's going to rip it out and block it even at the extreme level disconnect your networking um and then ask for forgiveness later you know it wants to protect you versus say hey can i block this you know, it's. I think from a business point of view, I think it'd be more important that, hey, you know, we allow this application on the device if it is something business related um, versus the off chance that, you know, it's something that's not. Um, so that's one huge benefit with the EDR. Definitely. And just something that I, I want to mention quickly here then, because it, it does come up in the way we're talking about this. And uh, based on what you, you mentioned there about asking for forgiveness Andrew, I want to mention the the CIA triad, which is the confidentiality, confidentiality, integrity, and availability triad that defines how we talk about cybersecurity. In short, this is how do we keep things safe? How do we keep? How do we make sure all the data has integrity and is not changed? And then how do we make sure it's available when it's meant to be available? Now, generally, when we're making things safer and immutable, uh, that means we're increasing things on the confidentiality and integrity side of things, which tends to make the availability side of things lower. Uh, you'll tend to hear this in when people make MFA available, when people make different tools available to you, you think it's harder to get into your system and harder to do things. Uh, I may have mentioned this previously, but I once had a CIO tell me that uh, in my perfect world, no one would have access to their workstations because then the data is safe, uh, which is true. <laughs> if we completely remove availability, keeping something safe is far easier. Um, so when we talk about asking for permission, what we're saying is that some of these tools do maybe make parts of your job sometimes more difficult if they accidentally trigger on something that isn't a problem. But it's better that they trigger on something that isn't a problem than that they trigger on they don't trigger on something that is and all of a sudden ransomware has taken over your network. Um, I'm not sure about everyone else here, but personally, I think losing a little bit of availability to increase the security so that me clicking on a link or accidentally going to a website doesn't cause me to take down the business uh, is a worthwhile trade-off. On speaking about that. I think we've said this in past podcasts, but the average downtime for a ransomware incident is two weeks. Um, are Is your business prepared to be down for two weeks to restore your business? Or would you want to put a tool in place that could, in all likelihood, protect it, um, stop this kind of thing from happening? Um, you know, there is a buy-in, but end of the day, that buy-in's worth, you know, what that two weeks of no money coming into your business would be. Exactly. And that two weeks is generally just the uptime, right? Chef, getting back to having machines up and running. Um, we, we also have the side of things with the forensics teams dealing with the the insurance that that, that process can take another month, two months yeah. just to get everything back, right? There are a lot of factors that need to be, you know, if this doesn't apply to any and every business, but average downtime is two weeks and that's, you know, business back to 
you know, maybe 60%. Uh, that would, I would say, is comfortably, that's the two-week window. You know, sometimes you can get you back up in 24 hours. Sometimes it could be a month and a half. Um, average time, two weeks. And that is, you know, not full functionality. There is still going to be much more time of hurting getting you back to 100%. Exactly. And it wouldn't be a podcast without me mentioning an incident response plan, which you should have, um, as well as business continuity and disaster recovery, which can definitely help you cut down on that time. Uh, but I think by saying that, I cut you off, August. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say sounds to me that paying for uh, paying per agent is a, a little bit of a better trade off than being down for two weeks on average. So exactly worth, worth the cost or more. <laughs> when I've dealt with ransomware incidents, one of the first couple things I say is to set the expectation, do be prepared for two weeks. Um, this, you know, if we get you back up in 24 hours, that's, you know, icing on the cake. But when I tell people that it's two weeks average time, um, I just hear gasps. So um, that is kind of that, you know, send the shot across the bow. Like, do be aware that if you did have ransomware and you didn't have, say, an EDR product in, in your network, um, that is where that trade-off is coming there. Exactly. Now, we, we've covered some of the things that can happen as a result of not having EDR or when EDR doesn't catch it. It's not It's not a perfect system. There are times when things get around it, but that's not as often as when it's caught. Um, so why then, it, we, we, I think that kind of covers the, the why we think it's important, why we see it and why we recommend it. Um, it's something we recommend heavily. Um, and push as soon as we can to everyone. Um, are there any things that you guys have seen recently or that are coming up that are maybe stopping people from wanting to use it? Have you guys heard any any of those types of arguments? I would just say primarily it's the false positives that come through. Like some of the processes that get ran are something like a pdf converter like something as easy as that being blocked and people just don't like it comes back to the avail the availability part of the cia triad of i want to be able to do my work now and not be blocked by anything um if i want to run a pdf converter i'm going to run it so i would uh, i think it just all ties back into availability a uh, real life example um, where something like that, you know, August, I think you're kind of talking about a little bit about, you know, line of business applications. There was a, a company that we had dealt with that had this Excel application, uh, technically an application. Um, they had macros out the wazoo on this Excel document that, you know, they've had for 10 years and it's doing 70,000 different things. It's essentially their ERP. Um, through a single uh, Excel file, like malware spreads, ransomware spreads through macros in an Excel file. And so that's why Sentinel-1 caught it, killed it, caused downtime for them, caused problems. It raises a larger question of why you're doing that. But, you know, having that false positive, um, you know, it is some downtime does cause those problems. But um, I, would, I, I would say that it's really, a, you know, kind of trying to run that line of, where you know how how your business needs to function and, and protecting it at the same time exactly and and this tool as part of it is that deep learning it's the machine learning it 
it learns what's normal for your organization. So while there might be some hiccups as it's coming on board, as it's learning that maybe your organization does something that is unique to the way that organization runs, over time it does learn that that's okay and it will stop doing that. We can also teach it very quickly <laughs> if need be and tell it, hey, that's that's fine. Um, but in those cases, because if it is catching something that you're doing that is unique, it's important to remember that maybe what you're doing is unique in a way that's negative. Um, yeah, like like Andrew said, using it as a full ERP is Excel's not a database, <laughs> as, as we're all very fond of saying. Um, and so using it as one is probably creating an attack vector and attack surface that isn't going to exist in other organizations so finding out that that's happening and if if this tool is catching things that you're doing that it thinks are malicious or dangerous lets you learn about how you're working and find newer ways and better ways to keep yourself safe uh, one of the arguments that i hear pretty regularly and, and less now but still occasionally is that antivirus does everything that they need um I covered this very briefly at the start about how antivirus should be thought of static. It looks for specific types of things as it's going through. Um, I think I'd probably compare it to uh, antivirus being the bouncer at the front door checking everything. And then uh, EDR is more like the people running the perimeter and making sure no one's trying to jump the fence or sneak through putting on disguises or hiding in the back of trucks that are going in. Like <laughs> it's, it's more about finding patterns and, and ways around it. Um, what do you guys say to someone who says that antivirus is, you know, meeting their needs already? They don't need EDR. Um, from an incident response perspective, I've seen many times where antivirus did not catch something and their network was compromised. Uh, as you were saying, as antivirus works, it's static. It knows that a threat does this, this, and this, and there's a signature for that. Well, antivirus knows that. EDR is seeing, oh, this application is interacting with us other thing, and it normally doesn't do that. And there's no signature for how that's acting, but it's blocking it because it shouldn't be doing that. Um, so that's where, you know, antivirus may be doing its job, but it's you're, you're paying minimum wage for a bouncer at the front door where you could be paying a security team to watch your perimeter. Um, there's a cost with that, but I mean, is your, is your business, again, going back to the two weeks, is your business able to sustain a two-week downtime uh, if you don't have this more advanced security product? Oh, yeah, I like how you worded that. Um, kind of some of the applications that are touching some of the files that it shouldn't be as and kind of going back to some of those macros of why is why is this Excel document making file modifications to a con a configuration file by path five folder pass deep, um, whereas EDR can remediate against that and then not only stop the threat but also if it wasn't um the macros if it isn't true positive roll back the device to an image right before that process occurred so restoring all the files that it did touch to the state right before of modification so perfect i would say Is another it? one oh i would say another one of going for uh of um of why 
there are pushback against it is that uh, Macs don't get viruses. So uh, we can shut I, that down quickly, can't we? <laughs> I've heard that one a few times. So yeah. Um, so as a avid Mac user um, at home, I can tell you that they definitely do. Um, I can also confirm that there are tools in, out there that can help you. Um, I would also say if you have one of the M1 or M2 chip Macs, you should be extra vigilant um, as people are finding them a very fun target to try and go uh, to try and find flaws and vulnerabilities in uh, just because they are so new. Um, that doesn't mean they're more vulnerable. It just means that people who like to take on a challenge are using them as target practice. Um, so, yeah, it, a lot of people, if they do have Macs as their business PCs, they're, they're considering that idea. Um, everyone should have EDR. Everyone should have some form of safety of that, tracking what they're doing. Um, that's a great point, August. I really like that one. Yeah, um, I like... I, I like that you mentioned that from experience. What were you were you downloading your free cursors and screensavers, and you got a virus? <laughs> no, um, there's a lot to that question. Uh, no, I did not <laughs> download one. Um, but I have been uh, the Mac specialist uh, amongst my friends for almost a decade at this point, um, and so I will often get that question um, and often get asked what's going on and what's happening. I, I spend more time reading. Uh, Mac vulnerabilities and uh, Mac changes than I do reading Windows vulnerabilities and changes, which really shows a lot about how much I'm reading of this stuff more than anything else. I would say going back to that, the that M1 and M2 chips are pretty exciting attack vectors. Is uh, Apple's bug bounty program is a pretty good payout if you find a zero-day um, non-clickable thread. So. Um, definitely a, a very solid attack vector in that regard. Exactly, yeah. There's there's some good money to be made if you are a bug hunter, finding them within Mac systems. Um, you can see what those payouts are very easily online, um, as well as what some of the most recent ones were and, and how much these individuals get paid. There are people whose sole job is finding flaws and vulnerabilities in systems. Um, so, yeah, if you... Just some side reading if you're looking for that. <laughs> um, on the case of EDR, um, obviously, I think we've made it clear why, we, why it's more useful than antivirus, um, as well as how it's tied in with the other um, sections like incident response and things like that. Um, I had a point from something you said uh, before August, and I'm, I've lost it. Uh, in this Apple sidetrack. Um, <laughs> but um, I think one of the things that I'm I'm seeing from this conversation, which maybe hadn't been clarified clarified for me before, was that EDR's handling is a lot more aggressive than antivirus as well. And and maybe some of the ways that it, some of the pushback we're seeing is because of that aggressiveness. Um, do you think that there's part of this in if people are doing things that are outside of what they should be doing? Oh, let, let me rephrase that. Everyone's going to be doing things that they've done from learning how to do it and learning what works for their business. 
antivirus, uh, the uh, EDR's aggressive nature is maybe bringing out some of those, I don't want to say flaws, but um, non-best practice actions that the organization is taking. That's <laughs> a habit, good or bad. Exactly, yeah. Um, I will say then that I think that one of the things that I like from EDR then, and this may just be a me thing, is that it does let me know if the actions I'm taking are also the actions that might be taken by someone trying to take over a network. Maybe it's a learning experience to be able to say, hey, if I keep getting stopped from doing that action, is there a better way to do it? Is there a quicker way to do it? Is there a smoother way to tie it in with things I have already? I know a lot of us are very ingrained in the way we like to do things. And so when applications update or change, that can be quite annoying. Um, but I at least like the idea that if EDR is telling me, hey, this Excel document you've been using for the last 20 years is problematic, um, maybe that's a good idea to start looking into other solutions. The circling back a little bit to the, uh, you know, people who are pushing back for antivirus, um, or pushing back for EDR. Think about it like in the 90s when antivirus was the brand new thing. You know, hey, it's causing problems with my XYZ because it's, you know, blowing it up or doing something like that because it thinks that it's malicious based off a of signature. We're kind of at that point now for EDR is that antivirus is going the way of the dinosaur. EDR is the new thing. You know, previously antivirus wasn't on computers in the 90s or, or whenever. I don't remember when first antivirus product came out. But um you know, we're at that point in, in computing is antivirus isn't good enough anymore. EDR is better. Um, and so we're moving away from that to a more robust solution. Yeah, I'll say as something else you just mentioned, uh, alert fatigue is a real thing. Um, I'm sure we're all remembering those times when we first uh, started using antivirus and it just pinged at us for 20 minutes straight. Um, because it's like you have three different PDFs named new PDF one, two, and three. Um, uh, one of the upsides to EDR is that oftentimes, depending on who you go with, obviously, but oftentimes because it is autonomous, um, and especially at a business level when you're getting it through someone else or with a SOC team included, you aren't seeing those alerts at all. It's completely silent for you because it is making these actions and then asking for forgiveness. So it may tell you that something isn't working if you try it enough times, but more often than not, you'll get a call from our SOC team, someone like August, <laughs> letting you know, hey, this has been blocked. Was it something you meant to do? Is it something that you want allowed on this system? We're really, It really removes a lot of that annoyance of seeing a, a ping every time something you do that again, maybe you've done a million times, is suddenly being called up. Um, you're really handing off that that part of it, which even though it might seem like a small part of your day, seeing those pop-ups and seeing those alerts, it does take into it, it does bring up your stress levels. It does take over part of what you were doing previously and distract you. I like that you say you want to call from August because that means the tool's doing its job. If you get a call <laughs> from me, that means that something's not going well and there's bigger problems. So you want to call from August, you don't want to call from me. <laughs> yeah. And if you get a call from me, it's because I want to talk about policy. So be excited. <laughs> but yeah, those I, I hadn't really considered that kind of like taking it off their, ha off their hands as well. I mean, maybe you're a... Uh, 
maybe you have someone in your office who is not really the IT person, but has kind of fallen into that role and they're actively handling these every time there's pop-ups. Oh, so much easier <laughs> just to pass that off to the EDR and SOC team. Um, yeah. And then August jumps in and handles it for you. <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to say the jumping into the uh, kind of passing it off to to a SOC, SOC team member is a lot more efficient than having to deal with it yourself. This is a, a stat that I heard, and I, I don't know if it's I believe it's correct, but the it takes about seven minutes for the brain to switch from focusing on one task to another. So if you're deep, deeply working on a project and you get blocked by your EDR tool, having to go in, make the exclusion, figure out how to do it, um, opposed to someone like myself giving you a call and saying, hey, let's let's get this figured out and then be on your way. Um, so it saves, I think, time, money, efficiency, and just uh, to, to offload that work onto to us. So Exactly, and that's before we get to the two weeks of downtime for not having it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly. You don't want to hear Sherp. Yeah. <laughs> no. I don't I don't want to call you guys either. That's no fun for me either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chef, when you messaged me the other day saying you wanted to chat, I'm like, oh no, what's happened? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Perfect. Wow. Well, we've gone deep into the technology of EDR and I'd love really quickly um if if somebody's listening to this and they're like I got to jump on that bandwagon. What would be a, an action step as our closing thoughts? If there's anything else you want to share and then what is an action step that someone could take to start their journey into implementing or researching EDR? Well, without yeah. just straight up being a sales thing here, I mean, yeah. reach out to us. Uh, <laughs> as you can tell, we all love to talk about this. Um, there's a bunch of stuff online. There's uh, blogs and, and uh, YouTube videos that you can dig into, but you can spend as much time researching this as as most of us have here. Um, I know Scherf and I spend, and August as well, ha- spend so much time reading about these, reading about the tools that exist and how it changes. And everyone's free to do that. The, the information we're reading is the same information you're reading. But also, do you want that in your brain? <laughs> do you want to have to keep all that there? Um, not just us. There's there's a lot of organizations that will help with this. But, you know, reach out to us. We're friendly. We'll say hi. Um, that next step is really about finding out how it will integrate into your business. So whether you're doing that research yourself or, or getting some assistance, think about how you can integrate it in a way that allows you to keep that triad, the CIA triad in your mind and secure the system better without causing any additional complexity or harm to the way that you currently uh, work. To also add to note, uh, as you're researching, do keep in mind that, you know, there are many tools out there, but EDR itself is not going to be a catch-all, stop-all, you are 100% protected. Uh, There is still other layers that should be put in place and should be discussed. EDR is a huge step forward, just like MFA is for your logins. You know, it's if you put this in place, it's going to give you a huge amount of protection, but it's not going to protect everything. You need to factor in other things that are going on. I know this podcast is purely about EDR itself, but as we're talking about this, you know, it's important to know that it, 
there's no one size fits all perfect solution for everything. So, you know, you need to understand what is right for your business. EDR will help immensely, but there are other things that do need to be considered when you are trying to increase your security posture. Please listen to any of our other compliance podcasts for more information. <laughs> yes, I love it. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you have any questions or want to learn more about EDR or talk to any of these people, um, feel free to reach out to us at info at CIT-net.com or head out to our website at CIT-net.com slash podcast. Um, Thank you, Matthew, August, and Andrew for joining us today, and we'll be back next week with an all-new episode.